This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm pleased to say that David survived his Africa trip and he's made it back. Welcome back. I I am alive. We didn't have to use my (laughs) death insurance policy and, you know, you don't don't get to go solo on this anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty wild trip from the sounds of it. So we'll get into that in a minute. But just wanted to start off with uh, one of our sponsors is High Mountain Seasonings. This past couple of weeks while you've been gone, I've been making a whole bunch of burgers with the various burger seasonings that they have. And everybody that comes over is saying it's the best burger I've ever had. So it's pretty amazing stuff. We ate a ton of wild game and I told them every time I said it was good, but it'd be better if we had some high mountain seasoning. <laughs> so next time I go, I'm taking some shakers and be like, here, you guys got to import this and, and spread the love around. Oh man, it's good stuff. And just a, a little tip for you, take it and put it in your meat and mix it in about six, seven hours, 12 hours, even before you go to cook it. And it makes a huge difference. How much are you mixing? per pound that's a good question i do everything by eyeball it seems like <laughs> but i was mixing it in basically if i had like for instance a pound and a half two pounds of burger which feeds my family for the most part i'm covering the meat pretty liberally with it and then mix it in really good and just throw it in the fridge and let it sit for a few hours so kind of my rule of thumb would be if you whatever you would take and sprinkle on top of the burger when you're cooking it kind of quadruple that because you're mixing it all in right uh, but then you don't have to really put any on it while you're cooking it you just cook it in yeah it is kind of marinated it's good it's so good yeah so go to high mountain seasonings website it's h-i-m-t-n jerky.com again h-i-m-t-n jerky.com and like i said david i'm glad you're alive after going after cape buffalo and all the other critters that were out there in africa and it's good to have you back man i I hope that it was a a great trip for you you know we all need to definitely all work and no play but all play and no work right and it's there's there's that hard balance in in life as you take on any endeavor of work family hobbies it can't be all or, or none it's got to be a balance and definitely i was getting heavy on the work and light on the play so probably the highlight for me was the fact that my phone didn't work and i consciously made a choice to not read emails so short of the one social media post you guys got in the evening i mean we did a lot of videography and stuff because we obviously filmed it we're going to post the whole thing on youtube and it's a summation of what we did i mean the camera wasn't on 24 7 it wasn't reality tv but we're definitely going to stick to kind of a linear how it happened why it happened and it'll be out there so you guys can get to come along for the ride and enjoy it but for me the best part of the hunt was in the evenings we would come back there was a fire lit, hors d'oeuvres were next to it, and we got to kind of hang out and chat right before dinner. Once he ate dinner, I was kind of like, hey, okay, I'm ready for bed. The way I chose to do that hunt was obviously David style. It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> normal. What is there anything I do that's normal, Patrick? Eh, no. <laughs> you got your own style, but I am the same way too. Uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's good to be independent. So you talked about it being a bit of an adventure getting there. So why don't you start there with some of the travel and some of the hurdles you had to get just to even get to South Africa? 
So we had a trade show in Florida, which is a little ways from Wyoming if you are not geographically challenged. If you are, look at a map. (laughs) But, you know, so we did the week before trade show Florida, decided to take the uh, family and we did some tourist stuff. You know, I guess the weekend after the trade show, I, I had Monday until Friday that we did tourist stuff in Florida. And so I go to check in for my flight. It's a Friday afternoon flight. I go to check in Thursday evening and they have canceled the direct flight from um, Newark to Johannesburg. So from the east coast of the United States to the southern part of Africa, the direct 16 and a half hour flight is no more. And this I find out at 10 p.m. when I have to fly and at 3 p.m. the next day, right? So mm-hmm. I get on the phone with the airline and I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but <laughs> may, maybe I will later um i get on the phone with the airline and they tell me sorry mr merrill we cannot get you there for another 48 hours and we're gonna have to defer you to here and here and then we'll take you to germany and then we'll take you down and i said well wait a second i have two other traveling companions and they're already on a flight from san francisco direct to frankfurt and from frankfurt they got a layover but then they're going down on lufwanda which Sounds an awful lot like Luftwaffe, but <laughs> I won't pick on the Germans too much. And I still haven't thrown the airline under the bus. The, the agent told me, no, we can't get you. There's no way. And so finally, Crystal and I spent from 10 p.m. till midnight arguing with them and finally said, well, why can't you get us on this flight? And she, you hear some keys clicking and all of a sudden, oh, there is seats available. But that was a San Francisco flight that went to Frankfurt that then went to Johannesburg. And I had planned 24-hour layover in Johannesburg, had already booked a hotel to just go crash at and kind of get the jet lag time swap thing figured out before we started hunting. Well, long story short, I had to be at the airport instead of 3 p.m. at 6 a.m. This is midnight. So no, the flight was at 6 a.m. So I had to be at the airport at 4 a.m. It's midnight. So I thought I had all morning the next morning, pack my bag and leisurely stroll the airport, hop up to Newark on a two-hour flight and then a 16-hour flight over, right? So I should have had 18 hours in the air. They flew me to San Francisco. I had a 10-hour layover in San Francisco. My brother and dad joined me. We hopped on their flight to Frankfurt, Germany. We got to Germany and had a 10-hour layover and then a 12-hour flight. Is a 12-hour flight from San Francisco to Frankfurt and then a 10-hour flight from Frankfurt to uh, Johannesburg. But I had the six-hour flight from Orlando to San Francisco. So I had 30 hours in the air when I was going to have 18 hours in the air. (laughs) But I made it there just in time for our uh, transportation to take us right out to the ranch. So completely burned my whole 24-hour of, you know, kind of deadhead layover switch. It was just land and go. Patrick, I don't know about you, but I don't sleep well on planes. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of sleeping on aircraft, but I'll sleep anywhere. Everybody that knows me knows I'll sleep just about any place. But it is a challenge, though, when you have a plan and then it doesn't go to plan. And then you have to shift gears and change what your mindset is and get on a different flight, get all the logistics worked out. But you made it there. I had paid for the travel insurance on everything just because of post-COVID world. You Mm. never really knew. And yeah, it cost me whatever it cost me. But because the flights were not cheap. I mean, I think they were over a thousand under two thousand round trip before all the exchanges so it was another 200 bucks to insure it so when we're doing all this i'm like well you know what i've got flight insurance and the airline is the one that canceled this so if they can't get me there they're on the hook so what i figured out and read between 
the lines on is there was a flood in Africa and there's a pipeline that runs the fuel to the airport. So the fuel supply company that supplies all the aircraft had to start trucking it instead of pipelining it. Well, obviously that's more expensive to hire a driver, fill a truck. So there was a surcharge on the fuel at the airport to the airlines. Well, all the airlines agreed to pay for the surcharge except for United. They just said, well, that's not the agreed upon price. And if we can't get the price, we're not going to bring our plane, which was really convenient for the rest of the world. You know, thank <laughs> Thanks, United. <laughs> yeah, makes it tough to fly anywhere, that's for sure. There's some great people on the airline. I mean, the, the stewardess and the pilot, it was just as an entity, I didn't feel that they really cared what they did to me. And it was just, well, we got you there, kind of. And I, I was honestly happy to make it, so... Yeah, so what was it like arriving there and being ready to go on this big hunt? So I'd definitely say uh, nobody touches your bags in uh, Johannesburg. It's not America. It's safe enough, but again, it's not America. You're not a citizen. <laughs> People want to be extra friendly and helpful to tourists. So no, I'll, I'll carry my bag, please, and thank you. I don't need any help, and yeah, I know where I'm going. Uh, we had paid for the air taxi, so you had the guy holding the little sign up with your name. So right when I walk out of security, bam, there's there already know my rides there, you know. And it's could could you could you go sightseeing tourists? Yeah, you can. As an American, I decided I wanted the easy streak of no stress, no hassle. Pick me up, I'm luggage, take me out. So it's almost a three-hour drive, and they drive crazy. They are scary, and it, insurance is not required. You don't have to have car insurance cars are with their import tax cars are much more expensive than they are here and with their wages again it's a 15 to 1 exchange rate so you exchange one u.s dollar you get 15 south african rand now a candy bar was 38 rand it was two bucks mm -hmm. buck 80 for a candy bar something like that so similar prices in u.s dollars with the conversions but you add all the fees their fuel is almost double so some people do have car insurance but there's a lot of people driving around in vw gold there was those things 1980 golfs people pushing them all over the side of the road and <laughs> there's a very interesting dichotomy between we were passed by mercedes and bmws and there was people on the shoulder walking barefoot carrying jugs of water back to their shanty there's a little bit of a feeling of you're not in kansas anymore toto but it's still i'm gonna come out and say it we're a conservation hunting podcast there's only two places on the globe that wildlife populations have increased this last century it's north american continent and it's south africa everywhere else wildlife populations are shrinking endangered their habitat is being bulldozed under and turned into strip malls right and so i got to talk a lot with the owner of the of the hunting concession. Dries Weiser is his name, Dries Jr., and he's a great, great guy. I mean, he's just a hardworking, great ethic. I mean, I really enjoyed spending time with him. And the language barrier is not bad because they all speak English. They speak Afrikaans, and then they speak a little bit of Dutch. And so we got picked up. I'd met Dries before and kind of told him what the plan was. Most people go there, sit in blinds, and hunt ambush style over water. I told him that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to spot and stalk and walk out in the in the grass and be part of nature. And so not fully understanding and realizing how difficult of a task that I signed up. For. We've done the sheep hunt, that's filmed. I'd like to do the elk thing and like to do the DIY. And maybe my britches were a little big. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I decided to eat. It was one of the top experiences of my life, Patrick, for sure. I mean, getting to enjoy it with my dad and brother and they each had their own ph and they were out hunting and we'd come back and share stories and have whoever harvested whatever was cooked over the the fire that we sat around for hors d'oeuvres they would take a shovel and take the coals and they were cooking right over wood fire coals and 
I mean, it was it was gourmet cooking for sure. You didn't go hungry, and there was <laughs> uh, I, I we had hundreds of dishes, but candied yams and kind of a braised pork stew with venison in it to just kebabs and everything in between. So the food is on par. The security once you get on the ranch, I mean, you're coated lock gate kind of not really armed guard but you're far enough on remote enough that you're you get away from the inner city kind of riffraff feel you definitely <laughs> you know you're not in the u.s and did i ever feel danger threatened scared no but i definitely i don't think i'd rent my own car and just go driving around the country i mean yeah it's different i spent the the day spotting and stalking and we did just a a lot of hard hunting and it, it come down to the wire. We started off with five guys, two PHs and PH is a professional hunter and they each had big bore rifles. And then I had my bow. We had a uh, tracker and he basically was born on that place, grew up on that place. And that's, he eats, breathes and sleeps tracking animals in the sand. And those guys can tell you what direction, how big, how old, what size an animal is with a track in sand. I mean, I, I looked at this dimple in the sand and that dimple in the sand. I'm like, well, that one's a little bigger than that one. And yeah, I guess that one sand looks a little different shade than that one, but it's two dimples in the sand. I mean, go make two, two marks in your gravel driveway and you tell me what made them. Right. And they know they Mm. really do. So we had this group of five guys. We had the two PHs, the tracker, myself and a cameraman. And we spent three days bumbling around the brush bumping into things and scaring it. Probably the two things that biggest takeaway was the sunsets and the sunrises. Here in Wyoming, we have some legendary sunsets and sunrises, but there's something about that huge flat continent. They're different. They're way more colorful. Go from blues to purples to pinks. to I, I took a lot of sunset pictures because I was just in awe of how amazing they were. And the second thing to take away was the birds. Just the volume of bird noise, the types of birds. There's a thousand species of birds in South Africa. I mean, we have, what, 15 here in Wyoming? I mean, there's probably a lot more, but as far as birds that I could go out and identify and see today, it's a handful. And they don't make a lot of noise. Anytime we got close to any of the water holes, there was quaffle, and they would say, Every animal knows that that's danger. And there was another one, I don't remember the name of it, but it says, boy, boy. And it just sits in the tree and it flies four more trees in front of you and it just sits there and rats you out the whole time. So... (laughs) Once those go start going off, then the Impala, they either wind you or they, and I mean, they are noisy, like (laughs) twice as noisy as a deer blowing at you. And once they start blowing, all the animals run away. So the birds rat you out to the Impala, the Impala rat you out to all the big game. And we have five guys stumbling around the bush. We got some cool stuff. Day one, I took a golden wildebeest spot and stock on film. Awesome. Made a clean shot, clean harvest. All that meat, that's one point I really want to make is people don't quite understand is that meat goes right into the local economy. I mean, it's basically their protein source. And by no means is any of it wasted. In fact, if you're not there to harvest those animals, those animals are going to get harvested, right? Because very simply put, that place we were on was 20 miles wide and 10 miles deep and 100% committed to growing trophy wild game. Now, if the hunters quit coming, there's no demand for for that game, it will get turned into either a meat farm or an alfalfa farm or back into a cattle farm because that's what originally was. That's why those fences got put up was to keep the lions out and keep the cattle safe. And somebody found out, hey, we can make more money on indigenous game than we can on destructive cattle. Let's start raising these animals privately. The two kind of thoughts that I've heard from American hunters, I won't hunt a high fence. Well, 
a 20 mile by 10 mile high fence and the fence is there to keep predators out and keep the animals safe that doesn't bother me now you got to be very careful there are some put and take ranches in south africa there's some shady operations that they have 100 acres and they put the three animals you want to come harvest on it on wednesday you come shoot them on thursday and then they bring a new guy on on friday and they drop new animals off friday i won't be part of that that is canned cage hunting the buffalo i ended up harvesting was born grew up lived his whole life and died on that place and never really cared that there was a fence. I mean, he can run 20 miles in one direction. He doesn't care there's a fence. The meat all gets used if you go with a reputable operation. Dries Weiser has been in business since the 80s. I mean, you don't stay in business that long if you're not doing something. And the lodging and accommodation is take your spouse, take your significant other, take your kids. I'm going to take Hunter at some point in time. Give me another five, 10 years to recover <laughs> paying for it. It is not cheap. I mean, I'm very blessed and fortunate that can afford to go do this. I'm, I realize it's not an everyday, everything experience, but at some point in time, I want to share it with my son because it's a target rich environment and it, it's structured in a way that some of the hardships that you would encounter on a high, high lake fishing trip or a turkey hunt or even an elk hunt here in Wyoming is mitigated. There's 60 people on that ranch that are employed by those animals being harvested. There was 10 skinners and between my dad, my brother, and the other guy that was there, I think we shot 30 animals in a week. All 30 of those animals were properly taken care of and in a walk-in cooler and they would get put on a refrigerated truck and hauled into town to the meat market and sold in your local grocery stores. That's mm. what you buy. So I was a astounded at how good the meat was we ate gemsbuck eland kudu zebra impala and by far my favorite is eland but zebra is really good i've said it before i'll say it again if our horses taste like those zebra <laughs> i know which one of my horses i'm eating first yeah what was the uh for you what was the animal that was probably the most exciting you know when you had to go make t and take the shot was it the Cape Buffalo, was it the Kudu? Which one was your favorite? I mean, there's a level of fear and intimidation with the Cape Buffalo that you're not going to get with any other critter, right? But the Kudu on foot, spot, and stock, and they call them the Gray Ghost, and they call them a Gray Ghost for a reason. If you ever look at one, their ears are the size of dinner plates, right? They can literally hear a pin drop or whiskers bristle, rustle on your on your hair, or you. they are 100% in tune with their surroundings. And to, to sneak up on one of those was... It was, a, it was a highlight of the trip, all of it, because we encountered, I think, 10 puff adders. We took a couple out of the population for sure, but puff adder bites you, most likely going to lose a limb. And I'm running barefoot day four, five, and six, following the pH out through the crunchy brown dry afternoon grass, because I tried to just do stocking foot, and next time I go, I'm going to take a pair of moccasins for sure. But my soles were crunchy enough, and the grass was just dry enough in the afternoons. In the morning, there's enough dew we could leave our shoes on. It was wet enough, you your feet would actually start to get a little wet. And we could be quiet enough, we snuck up on stuff. In a week, I drew my boat back three times on Cape Buffalo, and that's what I went for. Both the other two times that I didn't shoot are on film, and you can kind of see the one is a 30-yard opportunity. I don't even quite get to full draw on that wind switches the buffalo smells us and runs away the other time i get to full draw as i'm drawing my bow back i hit some brush with the front of my bow and he hears that and he's 19 yards away he steps out and he turns and he looks at me and i kept my composure pretty good as i was drawing my bow because i shut the higher function of my brain off and just go into that rot memorization of shot follow through anchor focus on a pin, right? And part of the way I've been able to do that is with the single pin side I run, I range it, know the, the yardage, dial the, the pin to that 
distance or if it's under 30 I, I know i don't have to move the pin so once the yardage question is out of my mind now it just kind of is the mechanics of going through the shot i mean i feel bad for people who get buck fever and start shaking i mean but after the words like the couple times i had to let down and check my fingers i mean they're they're shaking and it's there's something different about when you go in the blind in the box if you want to shoot a lot of animals certainly i mean my brother and dad were very successful great shot opportunities you know and they could wait for the animal to make perfect adjustment to get a great shot out opportunity to make very clean successful harvest right when you're spot and stock you got moments and when you draw your bow now they know you're there and now you have less moments and now they're aware and alert so it adds a level of excitement being out of the blind with the snakes with the spiders with the ticks and that's you know my vaccines were up to date i would highly recommend that uh check out the cdc's website look what they recommend for being vaccinated for talk with your medical professional and i mean malaria is one i wouldn't mess around with hepatitis is one i wouldn't mess around with a couple others you know there's a few that i'm like yeah i'm not too worried about that one but i did pick up four ticks in a week and you look at african tick fever and i i i've said this and you know being stomped to death by a buffalo or you know that 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 would be a pretty crappy way to go but at least hopefully it'd be quick right <laughs> laying in a hospital with tick fever for two weeks and not being able to be expedited or exported home <laughs> that that was i was on the back of my mind a little bit uh, after the after the second tick for sure right knock on wood i'm home i'm safe obviously either the vaccines worked or the the tick was uh, <laughs> not carrying something they they liked me i must have tasted good so talk about the actual spot and stock for the kill on the on the Cape Buffalo. I know people want to hear about that. So day three, I finally told the PH, I said, we got to get rid of some feet. We got to get rid of some bodies. So we just dropped down to just him and I solo, which in a situation with a Buffalo charging, one guy with a bow is useless. And I got one guy with a rifle and that's less than ideal, right? You're mitigating the odds that uh, you're going to get trampled. And at the same point in time, the Buffalo, if you got five guys and two got rifle, he can't count, right? So if he gets one person, there's at least one other person with a rifle to take care of those Buffalo. They got the name Black Death for a reason, right? And it wasn't because they're friendly by any means. Now, if they're not cornered injured, they run away. And when they run away, they were covering a mile. So first three days was spot and stock with the five guys. I finally told the PH. We're not going to get this done. So the next three days, we got another opportunity, him and I. Maybe we might have had two PHs a couple times, two guys with guns and me, but we got rid of the cameraman and the tracker. And just, you know, I told you the reasons that we didn't quite get the arrow off the string. And it was tough, the the 120-yard shot when there was a brush bush blocking the vital site. Three times thought about sending an arrow through the bush, but I just couldn't quite make out where it needed to go. And this is not an animal you want to mess around with. Right? This is not something you can track up and stock up on and get a second shot. It's, it's kind of a one-and-done deal. So they were at the height of their water season, so there's water in the roads, there's water in every pond, but the buffalo really like to go roll in the mud. They're, they're all black. It was getting up to 70 in the afternoons. Hot enough, when you think about it, you're wearing a black T-shirt and you're out working in the sun, you're hunting for shade too in the afternoons. So we kind of switched our tactic from purely spot and stock after I found out how hard it was, right? And the reason it's so hard is if you're doing it with a rifle, you can just go cut tracks. So you just drive around in a truck, drive for 20, 30, 40 miles till you find fresh tracks, get out of the truck, let the tracker track them, find the brush they're hanging in, and then you just get the wind in your favor, walk in, and when they present a shot, you shoot them, right? Sounds easy. Problem is if they spot you or they hear you, they start to face you. 
And if they don't run, you've got a front on shot. Well, you can't make that shot with a bow. So you can't be super noisy and brazen. So we'd get to the like docking distance and we'd spend an hour trying to work in and nine out of 10 times we got busted either by the wind or by an impala or by a bird or I stepped on the wrong branch. It was tough. So the last evening we're sitting over a likely spot. We've built just these little brush hides. I mean, quickly took loppers and cut four or five bushes stuck branches in a U-shape and sat in the middle of it and cut one small window in it and just sit there. And we had a giraffe one day come up and look right over the top of that. And here we are basically (laughs) hiding in these U-shaped bushes, a little bigger than a a dining room table, right? So that two or three of us could sit in there. And the giraffe's looking over the top. And I picked on the the tracker and the guys that helped build it. I said, you guys didn't build the blind good enough. They kind of looked at me awkward, like a little bit upset. And I said, it wasn't giraffe proof. <laughs> Those giraffe are, are cool creatures. I don't know why, but uh, they're cool. We got to take pictures and, and hang out with some giraffe. And I don't know. They're, I, I, I don't think I could shoot one, Patrick. I have no problem if somebody wants to harvest one. I think the conservation model requires that people shoot one. I'll eat giraffe all day long. I have no problem with somebody shooting one. I'll go shoot another buffalo. I might shoot two more, but I don't know if I'll ever shoot a giraffe. It's just, uh, they're cool. Day, evening of day seven. And well, actually the morning of day seven is when I got my second opportunity to draw my bow back. And when he winded us and ran away, I was less than seconds away from pulling the trigger on my bow. And I kind of knelt down on the ground and it was a little bit of a gut punch that, you know, I'd, I'd got a shot opportunity day three. We just spent four more days. This was, you know, three full days, but this is day four. Just got another opportunity, and basically, I didn't blow it, but it was didn't materialize. And I kind of went, in my mind, I'm like, well, that was my buffalo hunt. Guess I'll have to come back in a couple years and try again, right? I had pretty much written off that I was going home with a kudu and a golden wildebeest, and I was happy with that. I was fine. It was a great, between the birds and the snakes and the ticks and the sunsets and the dinners i i had had an amazing adventure right and we we hunted hard that whole day and there was a couple opportunities on gemsbuck and some other stuff that i just said no we're gonna push hard till the end focusing on buffalo it's buffalo or bust so there was some other animals we could have had some opportunities to stock on that we spotted before they spotted us and i just said no i'm not that's not why i'm here right so we're in that hide right towards dark buffalo shows up And he stood on the edge of the opening for 20 minutes, just staring our direction. That was unnerving. He's about 80 yards, clear rifle distance, easy. And he's just standing over there. And I I had to quit looking at him. I mean, because I'm getting a little worked up. He comes in to about 40 and out of nowhere, another one shows up. And that other one was probably standing 40 yards behind him the whole time. But they're being wary. They start coming in. The bigger one switches. He's younger, but he's bigger. And he's limping from fighting. And this is important because the buffalo I ended up harvesting was near the end of his lifespan, old, almost 10 years old. The buffalo that's with him is four to six, you know, not quite in his prime, still has a few years to go to be prime, but he's he's a lot bigger. He's a lot prettier buffalo. He's got that, oh, just telltale, big, deep hooks, sharp points, right? And he looks right at me at about 30 yards, and I'm like, that's a nice buffalo. But he just, he wasn't to his prime yet, and I just said that's, you could tell, he just, he was sleek looking, he was muscular, but I, I said he has more growing to do. That old bull was worn off, battle scarred. You know, he was just, he was done. And so I made the decision then and there. I'm like, no, I'm going to wait for the old bull to give me the shot opportunity or nothing at all. And so the young bull gives me like two great shot opportunities. And I was sitting there, sitting there. And finally the uh, old bull goes to meet back up with the young bull and I draw back and I still shot him when he was walking, shot a touch back from where I should have, maybe three inches, but elevation was perfect. 
and got minimal penetration with an arrow that I had done a lot of preparation on and really believed it would do the task. In fact, when I shot the kudu with that same arrow setup, I went all the way through him. So mm. the uh, potential energy that the setup had, and it was lethal. And what some people don't realize is, like, our North American game have a rib that's an inch wide, almost an inch gap, and then another rib. And elk have, you know, a rib that's an inch and a half wide, and deer have three-quarter inch ribs, right? But they pretty much have rib, equal spacing, meat, rib. So you have 50-50 hitting a rib, and if you hit a rib, you can kind of skid off to the side, or you can go through it and keep into the animal. These buffalo's ribs are about three and a half, four inches wide, and there's almost no space from one to the next, and they're over a half inch thick. So you take your standard bow and arrow and go shoot a half inch sheet of plywood. A lot of guys broadhead and arrow setup will not go through it. And we did some testing here before I left, and I was shooting cinder blocks and shooting distance and I really had a lot of faith in that arrow broadhead combination and it failed me I showed you it it tip twisted and the edge broke off and right so I made the decision right then as the buffalo's running away it's almost dark that I don't want to be trying to chase a really a non-lethal shot buffalo I did the best I could you can judge me for what you can judge me but the shot was placed decent his leg could have been forward he was still walking I should have waited for him to take that step the one thing you don't see is I'm shooting through a hula hoop basketball size hole in the brush and he's getting to the end end of that hole while he's walking so my shot window is decreasing quickly i could have maybe thought about making some noise to maybe get his attention but that's a 50 50 is he gonna run is he gonna run towards me or is he gonna stop about how far was the shot 24 yards 25 yeah, yards so he's close to you he's close and <laughs> i mean so as he's running away he runs back out to where he stopped initially to look at us and he's just standing there and as he's running away i could see that there was minimal penetration you can see in the gopro footage that the arrow stick it out a long ways the wrong side of the buffalo so i told the ph i said will you please follow up with the rifle and mm-hmm obviously not the way i wanted to do it or go down and so he did and then we went back to the truck and got his dog and it's almost dark not quite and we grabbed the other ph at this time and go in the brush we went 100 150 yards from where i had bow shot him and rifle shot him and the dog bays him up well the problem was we had that other bull that was limping from fighting when we shot the rifle he turned and stood and faced the blind right there and bluff charged us then right Jeez. We haven't put any pressure on them. They don't even really know what's going on other than they heard a rifle shot. So he goes and links up with that bull. And now the dog is getting chased by both of those bulls. And the dog gets intimidated and it it keeps running back to us. And we're about 50 yards from these buffalo hung up in brush that's 10 to 20 yard visibility, right? The pH kind of, he jukes left, jukes right 40 yards and then goes forward 10 yards when the dog's got him bait up. He's trying to shoot him again with his rifle. He gets in close and the buffalo are so tight together that he didn't dare shoot mine and not be able to not wound the other one. I think mine was facing straight on and the other one was broad hide behind him and he's shooting a 500 grain bullet that's a solid. It's not lead so it's going to go through that buffalo out and into the next buffalo guaranteed and he's like i don't want to have two wounded buffalo that we have to go deal with in the morning and about the third or fourth attempt to sneak in there and the dog's coming back to us going back and forth and i think if the dog had had a second dog there with him we could have got it done that night and maybe split him up and you know at least not had so much attention on us but when the dog kept coming back to us and he'd sit it back in the dog would circle around the buffalo two or three times bark and then run back to us basically the the dog was just showing the buffalo where to charge and the ph and i both came to the agreement and conclusion that this was not something we were going to take care of in the dark 
somebody was going to get badly injured and, and wounded. And I said, it's not worth it, which is a big risk on everybody's part of not being able to find that buffalo again. But there's definitely a time and a place to push the envelope, and that wasn't it. So we, uh, I, I had a, a pretty rough night's sleep that night. I didn't sleep well. Just coulda, shoulda, wouldas, going through my mind of a whole bunch of different things and used the broadhead that I wanted to use on the buffalo on the kudu. So... That was another, I still wonder today if I had used that other broadhead, because that was the broadhead that I chose to use on Buffalo. We were set up in a spot for Buffalo. I had knocked the Buffalo arrow when the kudu came in, and at that point in time, it was either shoot a kudu or there was no time to switch arrows, right? So mm-hmm. I guess word to the wise, pick five or six of your favorite broadheads, only go with that one and make sure your setup's good. But we got all hands on deck. We had my brother and my dad, their PHs, their trackers, and then our whole crew. So we had 13 of us out there the next morning checking. They are very uh, organized with the whole place. So all these blocks put together are half mile wide, mile long, and the roads are straight as an arrow, right? And you'll have 20 blocks lined up. So you can sit there and look down a road and see, you know, left to right, you're looking at like four blocks. So we posted guys on all four corners, and then we went in the brush and got on the buffalo, got him separated from his buddy. His buddy didn't like the pressure and the noise, and so he left and they finally gave me a rifle instead of my bow and I was 100% okay with that at that point I'd had my chance to do it with the bow when you're standing there with a bow and there's a dog baying up a a 3,000 pound very unhappy critter 100 yards from you you'll want a gun too over your bow I I guarantee you so snuck in there got him with one shot it was 100% lethal shot and he was 98% mobile that next morning i mean he was really pretty well unfazed he was unfazed for sure but it was good to put a clean shot in him put him down quick and i made the request because our shuttle to go back to the airport was showing up at noon it was 8 39 a.m when we put him on the ground i said you know what i want to eat some of my buffalo so the chef quickly took tenderloins out we had buffalo tenderloin for lunch i provided it albeit not as cleanly and quickly as efficiently as i wanted to but i provided it and i got a buffalo and he's a he's a beautiful old soldier and the bushes there patrick everything everything bites stings stabs or kills you I don't remember the names of them, but they got one bush that has two-inch thorns on it, and then they've got another one that the thorns are barely visible. They're shaped like cat claws, and they're all over it. And so when that one grabs you and you go to pull, it just digs in and rips and cuts. And I mean, the long, slender ones, when they poke you in the legs, they go in half to three-quarter of an inch before you realize it and stop and then have to reach down and pull the branch back. You're not going to rip your leg away from that. You have to pull it back straight out. They're needle-shaped. So spot and stock Africa between the ticks and the the puff adder the brush and the buffalo that want to run you over it will definitely heighten your senses for sure so would you do it again that way honestly i would do it with like a double rifle basically a a double barrel shotgun but a double rifle and, and go out spot and stock on the ground and pick your buffalo and that was exciting trying to force a bow shot and do that once you've spotted them is very tedious frustrating and difficult you're gonna meet 12 of our 15 stocks were met with failure and it took most of a day to get a stock or half a day to get a stock so would you do a buffalo again with your bow from a blind I think I will, because I, I want to get a one-arrow shot done. I want to go to uh, Botswana and do a free-range hunt. Mm-hmm. Now it's twice the money. It's twice the work on the PH's part. It's twice the money. But I do want to go outside the fence 
and go look at buffalo and i do want to go shoot one of those right at their prime big deep the iconic buffalo the buffalo i took is he's a beautiful bull he'll be here in a year and i'm very proud but i foresee one or two more buffalo bulls in my future for sure one (laughs) cleanly with a on the same place from a blind i'm gonna go because what's interesting is my dad took video of this bull twice that bull gave him 10 shot opportunities from the blind right and i worked my tail off to get three so yes i'll go back with a i'm gonna go with an 80 pound bow instead of a 75 pound bow and i'm gonna go with about an 850 grain arrow and i'm gonna use the 300 grain tough head big single bevel that can't fail and so i just want to go say i've done it with a bow and got one arrow and do it and it, i know it can be done hindsight's 2020 right for sure do i still believe that that other broadhead would done it what i saw the damage on the kudu i mean it went through the shoulder blade the t-bone part of the blade all the way through the muscle on the front side all the way on the muscle on the back side and continued all the way through that kudu and out so the bow and the arrow have the energy that broadhead i use overspun kind of over twisted and you're going through a three-quarter inch thick rib but you've got eight inches of muscle before you get to that rib and then you got to get through it so yeah i guess to be continued on the buffalo part but (laughs) i mean my dad and brother had it was their first safari so got to experience all that with them and got to come back and just the sunsets and the birds and the meals made the whole thing worth it and then to icing on the cake of put a three thousand pound animal on the ground one that will kill you not could one that will kill you yeah it's a cranky animal and very dangerous for those of you who don't realize like water buffalo is one of the most dangerous land animals in the world yeah the cape buffalo they've evolved to defend their 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 herd or pride against the lions right and they and they'll kill lions too they have no problem rallying the troops and come back and killing lions so it it was an experience you know we've talked about the grizzly bears and yeah i have a lot of respect for grizzly bears and if you tell me that you're not scared of grizzly bears you you obviously haven't either spent enough time in the woods or you don't you're not all there together because same thing grizzly bears will and can kill you but of all my grizzly bears encounters and when we got the buddy system and we're there and it's like when my father and i bumped one off a, a, a kill pile that was a little it was definitely the similar feeling of you're not in control and you're not the top of the food chain at the moment. Losing those two feelings is uh, humbling, to say the least. Yep. Or with the Cape Buffalo, I mean, they're the top dog. Imagine if you were on an NFL football field and they put the defensive line up and then they took the rest of the team away and you stood there with the ball and they blew the whistle. And you had those eight guys rushing at you that are all you know, 350 pounds or bigger and athletic. That's how it feels to be running around in the brush with Cape Buffalo. And you're just going to put your hand Mm -hmm. up and say, stop. No. And they are athletic too. Those animals are crazy athletic. That was probably one of my biggest takeaways was, you know, you look at the Buffalo, you look at the American bison, you look at the grizzly bear and you go, oh, they're kind of lethargic. They're kind of slow. They're kind of dumb. Those Buffalo knew exactly when we were there. The only way because visibly the grass was high enough, the bushes were thick enough and dense enough. All we did was stalked in on foot tracks and listened for something quietly moving through the brush. It sounds like a jacket being pulled across a couch, right? It just is. Whoosh. So then we just sit there and listen and listen and try and echolocate which direction they were traveling at 50, 60 yards. And then we'd make a 80-yard loop and try and go stand in front of them. Half the time the wind worked, half the time when we made that loop either an impala or a bird or one of the other buffalo spotted us so you know back to that football analogy 
and back to the American bison and the and the grizzly bear and the Cape buffalo seeming to be, I guess, dim or dense or slow. They don't care about the brush. They literally put their head down and run. Bushes just get out of their way and they just go. So again, you're not going to put your hand up and say, stop, time out. Whoa, <laughs> I, I, I want to do over. It's definitely what I signed up for. Yeah, It dials all your senses to 11, period. You talked about the horrible you know, thorns and whatnot. And that doesn't phase a Cape Buffalo because their hide is just super thick and tough and they can go through anything. And, and if you're in their path, you're, you're in trouble. Uh, you, you look at the picture I posted though. He's got some scars on his face because oh, yeah. he's putting his face in that bush to eat some of that. And it's still grabbing him. And when he lifts his face up, it just, those hooks, they go in and they, they don't snap off. Right. And they're like a cat claw. You know, when I saw that picture, I was thinking, man, that's an old soldier right there. Yeah. You know, he looks like he's been through a lot of battles and he, he was real tough looking. He definitely kind of been pushed out of the herd and was past his prime and it was his time. And when faced with the choice of the young bull and we'll we'll have the video up soon but you'll you'll see the young bull on there and you'll see how iconic he looks and you, you compare him to this other one i went no it's that that one's past his prime yeah. and it's time well what an experience right like hopefully the next time you go you can take you know your son and he can be a part of that and experience some of that with you i think we'll we'll set him up with the crossbow and we'll, we'll get him to to be and partake in this endeavor from kind of the confines and the safety of of the blind right but part of my experience of getting to run barefoot through the puff adder infested brush literally i felt connected to man as a hunter from ever right Mm -hmm. and part of it was getting to hang around a fire and yeah we still did it it was still kind of i don't know how to put this hollywood disney-fied right it was a little bit i i wasn't sleeping out in the bush with the snakes and the spiders and (sighs) (laughs) And the ticks and having to go cook my food over a fire. My food was cooked for me and my clothes were washed. And yes, I was pampered and catered. But primarily something about taking your shoes off willingly. I mean, I I said, let's do this quietly and I want to do this this way. By, By no means would I recommend you do it. And you can sit here and and from the confines of the couch or the radio waves are sitting here at the table talking to you. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, I'll take my shoes off and go running. When it's time to say, hey, let's do this. And it it could have turned out bad. I could have stepped on a two-inch thorn and pretty much been gimped up the rest of the time, right? But we stuck to the game trails and the sandy spots. And there was just something about having the African soil right under your bare feet and being out there with a bow and arrow Yep. Chasing critters. There was a connection that I don't think you can get any other way. That's really cool, man. I'm glad you had that opportunity. For a lot of people, they never get that opportunity. So it's it's neat that you got to do it and get to share the story with everybody. I know I've had a few people ask, you know, while you were gone, like, hey, how's it going with them? I'm like, well, I don't know. I know as much as you know. <laughs> I, I, it, I so. did try and post as much as I could. <laughs> and they, they were giving me grief every night around the fire. Oh, you're over there working. I'm like, I got to be sharing this, right? Yeah. So now if you've ever thought about uh, going on safari, check it out. I mean, there's a ton of reputable ones. I would say there's definitely some of those put and take 500 acre places that do your research and your homework before you go. I mean, Dee's Weiser is definitely, it's not an infomercial forum. I'm not connected or affiliated with any way. I just met him and he said, hey, we kind of have an opening if you can come this spring. I met him in February, basically. And he said, if you can come in May, we got an opening, we'll put you in there. And I went, is it something I want to do? Yep, let's go. (laughs) You know, and, and 
Airfare was cheap enough because of whatever's going on that I said. It's now or never kind of deal, right? It was a take it or leave it. It was not something I've been planning for years and years and years. But if you're even remotely interested in kind of a safari, and definitely, like I said, take your significant other, take your kid, take your spouse. Even if they don't hunt, you could split a a safari and do seven days on the ranch. And definitely you'll have more fun photo safariing on the ranch. And tell them that. Tell them, hey, I'm bringing a non-hunter that would like to just go take pictures of animals. Especially on their place, they have a whole 50% of their business is the trophy game hunting another whole 50% of their business they have 50% of the ranch we were on and the whole 20 mile by 10 mile was trophy game hunting they have a whole nother area that is purebred wild game that they sell to other game farms and they'll let your spouse or your photo safari person go drive around on the non-hunting side and take pictures of docile they're not tame they're not domestic You'll get better pictures than you ever will in Kruger or any of those other places. Because when you go to Kruger, you pull up to the water hole that the lions are at. There's 10 other trucks there with 20 other tourists out taking pictures. And it just feels like Disneyland. It just doesn't, it cheapens it and lessens it. When you're driving around the ranch, and I didn't see another truck, and, you know, I just didn't see another human being. It felt remote. It felt more like Indiana Jones than anything else so definitely do your homework but save your pennies and i would recommend everybody go at least once and one thing to remember is their whole conservation model is based on u.s hunters going probably my favorite that kudu is it's a cool critter you'll see a ton of impala impala are awesome warthog are interesting i wouldn't stick my nose up a warthog but they're everywhere and i think it's because i'm an elk hunter right and when you look at a kudu standing there, it, it's very reminiscent of a big bull elk standing there. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. So, yeah, well, I'm glad you made it back and you didn't get trampled to death or bitten by a snake or anything like that. So it was pretty successful on that front. And, yeah, now the next adventure. We have two adventures to Alaska here pretty quick. So for the listeners out there, if you've been faithful and uh, been a longtime listener, you know, the postponed uh, 2.0 COVID Alaska fishing trip is scheduled and booked and it's long overdue so stay tuned for that we'll uh, we'll obviously be sharing on social media thankfully we'll be allowed to bring fish back from that one i i honestly would have brought 150 pounds of meat on the plane home oh yeah that's been cool if they would have let me so we need to start working on that because the reasons that we can't bring the meat back are brucellosis and hoof and mouth well, we have brucellosis here. So I need somebody to explain to me how that disease is going to get from the meat in my freezer that I cook and eat to the wild or even the domestic cattle population. It's just, you know, bureaucracy at its finest. So oh, I, I, that's all it is. I'm glad the meat doesn't go to waste, but I'm a little irritated that I don't <laughs> get to bring some buffalo and share it with you, right? Yeah. Well, but you got to go, you get to share some video obviously the podcast so it's pretty incredible what you're able to do so glad you're back and we're gonna keep it rolling we're gonna get some guests out there so if you have a if you want to hear something a topic or want to hear from somebody we haven't talked to definitely reach out to us radcast outdoors on the socials on the website check out our sponsors especially Mm -hmm. a high mountain that's a good one this time but uh, fishing is a Coming up, we're going to Alaska. We're going to take a few PK lures. I yep. know the uh, the boys and I did a little fishing earlier this year, and we went to a, a lake that shall re- remain unnamed, 
But I had a few people when we posted pictures of the rainbow, like, we've gone there and we never catch fish. <laughs> Every one of those fish was a PK lure. And so did we throw some other stuff? Certainly. Did we have other stuff? But the PK definitely, once you get the technique down, they produce fish, period. Oh, for sure. Yeah, pklure.com if you want to check those out. And we will have a giveaway that I'll be posting here soon. I just got to get that done. And, you know, Bow Spider too, you've got a lot of stuff on the website people can go out and check out and oh yeah 100 percent. if you're spotting stocking africa you have to have an attack pack and one on your hip and when i was going through like the thick waist high brush i put my bow on my back and the second we started getting into brush that was head high that we had to duck under the mm -hmm. bow went back on my hip and it was way too easy to have it on my hip for 20 steps come to that tight little bottleneck take it off my hip push it in front of me, push the brush out of the way. It was either back on my back or back on my hip. I mean, we did oh, something like 300 and some kilometers on the ranch in a week. And we did a lot of days where we'd go through three of those blocks. So there's a lot of mornings we did a three mile stock. Yep. It was, it was not easy. And the bow spider really was a handy tool. So check that out. The YouTube video will be out there. Uh, obviously bowspider.com and the YouTube channel's bowspider. So until the next one, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's sorry for the, the long hiatus, but I've been on the road and out of the country. Yep. So we'll come back with more episodes of Radcast Outdoors here really soon. Again, go to radcastoutdoors.com. Like us and rate us on all your favorite apps. 